I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Um, welcome to Celebrate Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord and to be here with you. Um, we are going to do our second message in our series, Stand Your Ground. Um, we started this series last week, and um, I said this, but I'll say it again, probably at the beginning of every one of these messages, that I sincerely believe that Daniel is a strategic playbook. It's a book that was written at this point over 2,500 years ago, um, and we know for certain that Daniel not only endured the culture that he was thrust into, but he he did more than that. He actually not just endured, but he stood in victory in the midst of all of that, still trusting God, regardless of the things that were going on around him. And that's really the goal of this series is to help you understand that its relevance, the book of Daniel's relevance and the word of God's relevance is still available today to each one of us because we can stand firm and we can love well in a culture of compromise. Do you agree with me today that there is a culture that is compromising, right? There are many things that we see on the news, we see in the world stage today. Um, I don't know about you, if you saw some stupid news this week, but there's some idiot, I mean, there's some man in Europe trying to get his age changed legally. Did you guys see that? He is, he is 60 something years old and because he wants to go out on more dates for his dating profile, he wants, he's actually sued to get his age changed to 49 years old instead. And then the question is, how stupid are you? <laughs> right? I mean, really, like, what did your mom do for the 20 years you weren't here then? You know what I mean? Like, seriously, the world is crazy and it is going sideways to be sure. But in this day and time, we have a cornerstone and that is Jesus Christ and it is God's word. So we, we want to talk through that today. I do want to say thank you to any veterans that are with us today or if you have family. Uh, that are veterans. Let's give them a round of applause. Um, today happens to be the 100th anniversary of World War II, the ending of World War II. And uh, I'm thankful my brother served in the military. My grandfather served in the military. Uh, we pastored a church in Hawaii a mile from a Marine Corps base and had plenty of opportunity with those who served. And so I say, uh, regardless of your political persuasion, pray for the safety of our troops uh, wherever they are uh, as they serve in that capacity. So we're very thankful. Um, you know, I think there are two popular opinions today in the today's culture and in today's world. And the first is this, if I stand for God, everyone's going to hate me. I'll get to heaven. It'll be by the skin of my teeth, but I'll get to heaven. And the second opinion is this, in order to have an impact on the culture, God's word needs just a little bit of help. Hmm. Hmm. Those two popular opinions are not correct. In order to have an impact on the culture around us, we truly need to stand firm on God's word and the God of the word. Amen? And so we've got to understand that it's time for us to circle back. We say this jokingly, of course, but semi-seriously. Uh, don't come back next week if you haven't read the Bible. <laughs> because I'm trying to tell you as your pastor, I want you to be developing your own spiritual life all by yourself. This shouldn't be the only meal you get this week. 
Okay? So we want to make sure that we are people of God's word. But neither of those opinions are beneficial, though, to the dying world around us. See, God sent you into the neighborhood that you live in. He gave you the job that you have. He gave you the spouse that you have. He gave you the family that you have. In fact, the word of God says that he is the Lord of the harvest and he has sent us out into this world as laborers in his harvest. So the truth is that we'll either influence culture or we will reflect it. I think it's the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. Think about these two things for just a moment. A thermostat sets the temperature, but a thermometer merely measures the temperature, right? When you went in your house last night before you went to bed, you set the temperature you wanted. Some of you are hot natured, some cold natured, but whatever you did on that thermostat changed the temperature in the room. Now, a thermometer just merely measures the temperature. I personally believe that God has called us to be a thermostat. He's called us to influence the culture like a thermostat influences the temperature in a room. We are to be thermostats and not thermometers. I want that to sink into you this morning, that we are not to be those who just merely read the room, but we're to be those who change the room. Amen. And God's given us power. I don't want to go too deep in something so simple, but God is the one who can influence and motivate the power to change the environment that you're in. You have the power at your own job, in your own classroom, with your own uh, students and friends and colleagues, in every one of those environments, God has given you the ability to be a thermostat. Jesus said it in this way. He says in Matthew chapter five, verse 16, just the last part there, it says this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. You see, salt makes things better. (laughs) Can I get an amen? All right. Down here in the South, we have a lot of salt. Um, my mom and dad, they are down home folks and they, my mom, she salts her food before she eats it. Even though she cooked it and salted it before in the kitchen, she salts it again. She has too much salt. Okay. But salt makes things better, right? And light always brings brightness. So God in his word, Jesus actually says that you are to be the light of the world and you're to be the salt of the world. And if that's true, then we as believers ought to be making the places where we live, where we work, where we shop better and brighter. Amen? Amen? Come on. So we've been called by God to impact our culture, not to just reflect it. Um, I said last week, I mentioned last week the uh, Amish folk who willingly serve the Lord and they do an awesome job. They're devoted followers of Jesus, many of them. But they've, they've taken it to the level of isolation where they, they're not involved in the culture. And that's not what we've been called to do. We've not been called to be isolated from the culture or retreat from it. If we do, in fact, I believe we're living in disobedience to God's word. It says this in John chapter 17 that Jesus went and he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane on the night before he went to the cross. Look at what it says in verse 15. 
Jesus himself is praying to the father and he says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He says this in verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You've got a job to do. And if you had a performance review today on that job, according to scripture, then there might be some work and improvement that each one of us could do. Can I get an amen? So I believe there's a mentality though that's in this world and it's a mindset that's even invaded the church. It's a mindset that's behind every ungodly culture. It's behind every sin. And it's what I call the Babylon mentality. Remember we said that last week the, that Babylon was located in modern day Iraq. If you look at a map on your phone or you look at a map of the world and you find Iraq in the Middle East, there are rivers that run through it from the south east to the northwest. And as they do that, there's a section of land in between that's very fertile. It's in a region called Mesopotamia. Okay. This is not something you're going to impress your friends with later. Uh, but it's in a region called Mesopotamia and it's a place called Babylon. In that place, I believe that there's not just a geographic locality that was a place, but I truly believe there's a mentality that existed from the beginning of our history and it shows itself even in the last days of our human history. In fact, I'll tell you this, you can find Babylon in Genesis. You can find it in the middle of the Bible where it appears in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the prophets. And you can also find it at the end of time in our written understanding of what John saw in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. I would encourage you to read that section of scripture this week because it, it truly is astonishing what God's plan is for Babylon. So one of my jobs as a pastor is to expose you to the truth, to help, uh, to help shed some light in the word of God on what we need to focus on. And today I want us to take this approach and I want us to look at the enemy in all of his ugliness, in all of his evil. I want to shed some light on him today. Think back to the garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were created. What is the first thing that the enemy did in the Garden of Eden when he spoke to them? What was it that he did? He questioned God and God's intentions. He sowed doubt in the hearts of those who were present to be able to cause them to think, hmm, yeah, maybe that's not true. Satan's primary lie is this. If you follow me, I'm all about you. Think about it. That's really his, his primary goal and his lie to us. I want you to have what you want to have. I'll give you everything you want. You don't need to follow God. After all, God is all about himself. I'm all about you and your desire. That's truly what the enemy's uh, intent is. So there are different, in, different versions of this idea of his lie that happens throughout scripture, and it keeps popping up in different places. A few pages further from the Garden of Eden, you can find an interesting passage of scripture where we see something called the Tower of Babel. You might know the story, but if not, I want to just refresh your memory. So the people of ancient Mesopotamia, that region... They decided to build a tower, they said, that would reach into the heavens 
and to touch the place of where God is. Genesis 11 verse 4 says this. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. I want you to think about this for just a moment. There's nothing wrong with building a skyscraper. You can't pull this verse out of the Bible and say, God doesn't want tall buildings around. No, that's not the case. It's the fact that God sees that they said this, let us make a name for ourselves. In other words, we don't need God. It's a, it's a prideful self-sufficiency. Some of us in this room deal with that from time to time where we think that we don't need God. We've relegated him to be an emergency contact in our phone. Can I hear an uh-oh? <laughs> He's more than an emergency contact, amen? He wants to be involved in every day, in every aspect of our lives. And here's the deal. Satan always bets on human Humans giving in to their self-interest. That's what we see in culture today. It's me, myself, and I. It's all about me. Somebody posted the other day and said something about selfies being uh, so self-centered. There is no one in that picture except for you. Wow, how things have changed. There are people in different generations here today that would say, wow, that is so strange that we've come so far because it used to be, here's my family and here's all the great people in my life and now it's just me, look at me, look at me, look at me. If you've ever taken a selfie, say amen. Amen. In verse 9, though, of Genesis chapter 11, it says this. Scripture tells us that the name of the place was called Babel. The reason why I talk to you about the Tower of Babel is because Babel happens to be the same location hundreds of years later where the kingdom of Babylon is. So I want you to think about that self-serving mentality, that idea of me, myself, and I, me only, and I want to make, make a name for myself. The reason why we have the word Babel is because when those who were writing the Bible into English, they, they, it, when they saw the Hebrew word, it looks like the word for confusion, and they use the word babble. We still use that today when we say he or she babbles a lot. Do you know anybody that babbles a lot that just kind of goes on and on, right? God caused confusion to come upon the people of Babel. He was attempting, and he did successfully, he thwarted their self-interest. They said, we're going to make a name for ourselves, and God said, no, you're not. And it's at that point that he dispersed the peoples of the nation, of the nations. You and I will always live in chaos when we listen to the voice of the enemy. And sometimes that enemy is not a guy in a red cape with horns and a tail that you imagine him to be. Sometimes that enemy is the person staring back at you in the mirror. When we listen to that voice, we'll live in chaos and confusion and we'll always pursue our own self-interest. It happened in Eden and it's happening in America today. That Babylon mentality, that self-focus and self-centeredness has infected many in our nation. And the Bible says in Revelation 17 and 18 that I encourage you to read, it tells us that it's even invaded the church. 
People in the kingdom of God have fallen prey to this mentality. And this has to change. I don't want to sound like Tony Robbins in a self-help seminar this morning, but I'm going to say this. You have the power to change your mind. You do. I, I just want that to sink in for just a moment. And here's the, the, the detrimental effect that can happen is if you change your mind with the bad information, you'll go off the deep end. But if you change your mind because you realize when you look at the word of God, wow, I need to make some course corrections in my life, then you've changed your mind according to truth and truth brings life and liberty and freedom. God's truth. So you have the power to change your mind, and I think many of us need to change our minds. But the only way to do that is to invite God to help us. We cannot do it simply on our own. We have got to have God's help. You see, when people disinvite God and his voice from their lives, they adopt that Babylon mentality. When they push God out and they say, we don't need your name, we want to make a name for ourselves. When that happens, we face the adoption or we, we endure this moment where we take on a mentality that is rooted in a, not a geographical place called Babylon, but in a dark, evil, self-centered, focused place that even lies within our own heart. But I'm here to tell you that when you invite God into any place that you have confusion and chaos, he always brings order. You need to hear this this morning. Every storm in scripture where God was invited into that storm, he brought peace. Think about that for just a moment. God brings peace to disorder. He is a God of order and he wants to guide your life and bring you peace and order. In fact, there's a well-known verse in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. It says this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Just stop on that for a moment. That first phrase tells you the audience to whom that is spoken. If you know anything about this passage, the fullness of the passage, it's the dedication of Solomon's temple. They're doing this grand gesture for God, saying this is going to be the place where you're worshipped. And God says this, if my people... He doesn't even say if those, those heathens, those atheists, those agnostics, those people outside in other kingdoms. He says, if my people would humble themselves, turn from their sin, pray and seek my face, I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive them and I'll heal their land. There's something to be said there that it's been said in days of old that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And we, we need to understand that there is some course correction we need to make in order to get rid of this Babylon mentality. If you're here today, I want to say this to you, and you are experiencing chaos or confusion or disorder in an area of your life. Maybe you say, Pastor, I'm here today and I have it all over the place. It's in every area of my life. The only way to get rid of that and to change that is by inviting God into that chaos and to say, God, I can't, but I believe you can. 
that's the posture of humility that says, I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I am trying to make your name great. So God, would you please see me through this? Help me out of this. The Bible says that we can receive God's peace when we accept his love. When we take him into ourselves and when we humble ourselves and ask for his help and indeed for his salvation. So Babylon is in Genesis. It's in Revelation. It's in all different places throughout scripture. But people inside the kingdom of God have fallen prey to this Babylon mentality. And I want to tell you what it is. And I'm going to tell you how to defeat it in your own life. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 47. If you have a paper Bible, you can, or digital, we'll have it on the screen for you. Isaiah 47, verse 8 through 11. It says this, and if you're reading in a paper Bible or digital, you can scan to the top of the chapter, and you'll see what the heading there is. It refers to Babylon. Isaiah is telling us exactly what the people of Babylon, and I could say the people of America, the people who are in this culture day and time, they say these same things. Verse 8, now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. Do you think we live in a culture where there are lovers of pleasure who seek it at whatever the cost is? They don't care what relationship they ruin or what challenge they face. They're going to get what they want. Absolutely. Who have this false sense of security, who sit back and say in their heart, I am and there is no one besides me. Listen to what it continues to say in verse eight. It says, I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. In other words, like nothing bad is going to happen to me. Verse nine, these two things shall come to you in a moment in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure. In spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have led you astray. You said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Verse 11 says this, but evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster will fall upon you for which you will not be able to atone and ruin shall come upon you suddenly of which you know nothing. You say, pastor, what's the good news? The good news is you don't have to be a victim of this judgment. You can live with a correct mentality, a Christ-centered and God-fearing mentality that says, I am nothing and I need you in every area of my life and you will avoid this punishment, this judgment. So we live in a culture and a generation where it is all about us. And this is the Babylon mentality. I've said it several times. I am and there's none besides me. Now, we've got to be very careful because pride is the sneakiest little thing you've ever met. It will actually cause you to sit there today while you hear me preach this word and say, "Mm, that's not me. I'm not a prideful person. All right, I'm moving on. I didn't want it to hurt too bad. Okay, but I'm serious about it. Pride is in every human heart. 
Some have a lot more than others. I know I struggle with it. Every person in this room that I've met personally struggles with it. We all struggle with pride. We all have a sick desire inside of us that wants to say, I am, and there's none besides me. But God has a different intention. In fact, the Babylon mentality elevates me and it lowers everything else. But when we elevate ourselves, we lower God in priority. And here's the deal. We say this all the time. God is an all in kind of God. He wants everything. He doesn't want to be second, third, fourth, 16th on the list. He wants to be first or nothing. Did you hear me church? He wants to be first or not at all. That's what he says throughout every page of scripture. He says, I am. In fact, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, compare the words spoken by those in Babylon to the words spoken by God to Moses. When Moses is being sent out, he says, who should I say sends me? He says, tell them, I am that I am. I love this because there's no coincidence in God's word. God knew what was happening. He knew that there was going to be a a moment in time that every generation is going to face where pride is going to be exalted. The single person is going to be lifted up. There's going to be this idea of persona and this you're all the world to me rather than God, you mean everything to me. And so he says when he makes the covenant with Moses and when he calls Moses to to go forth as his servant, he says, you tell them I am who I am. What a powerful statement. He is the I am and we are not. You see, the people in the world and the people even in the church have said, well, God doesn't love me. If he loved me, he would just let me be who I am. What kind of loving God would call me out of something I enjoy and like and feel in my heart? He must be mean. He must be outdated. For sure, he's old-fashioned. That stuff might have worked 2,000 years ago, but it sure doesn't work today, right? We said last week, and that was a powerful reality for us to embrace last week, that there are people even in the church that think they're guilty of thinking that they love people today more than God does because they're trying to change his word in order to fit their own agenda or in order to embrace their friends. But that's not the right attitude. It's not the right approach. The right approach is I will stand with God, principally speaking throughout his word. I will look at his word and use it as a guide for my life. Come hell or high water with the loss of friends or not, I will stand my ground. That doesn't say I'm going to be mean spirited and say, well, you can go to hell. Sorry if that offends you. (laughs) I didn't mean to just say that out loud, but uh, that's kind of the attitude that we have towards others who don't embrace what we embrace. And And if we do that, it's wrong. Here's the truth. Everything that God put in his word is for your own best interest. We need to understand this, that the greatest expression of love is forgiveness. This, this is, 
This is the truth that God has been hammering away at for thousands of years into his people. That I love you and I will forgive you. I will call you my own. But forgiveness doesn't leave us right where we were. It challenges us to go further and farther than ever before. Because truly only the loving God would call you out of sin. And out of something that hurts you. He knows better than we do. Only a loving God would say, let me forgive you. Now go and sin no more. I love that passage in the New Testament that tells about the testimony of what happens when the woman is caught in adultery. There are so many nuances in that story about how was she caught? Were these Pharisees standing outside the door like waiting to catch her? But they caught her in the act. They throw her out in the street and she's out there in the street and Jesus tells her something incredible He says, then neither do I condemn you. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. There was a life change, a transformation, an opportunity. It's given to all of us. I think the thing is, here's what it is. I think for the longest time, people have said, this is my opinion, rather than saying this is God's truth. And it's easy for you to disagree with me on my opinion. But when I say I stand on the word of God and I'm doing the best that I can in every area of my life to follow him, to honor him, to put him first. When I do that, then there's a whole lot less disagreement because you can't disagree with me about that. You've got to disagree with him about that. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says of the king of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 14 says this in verse 13. You said in your heart, there it is again. Let me just stop here and tell you. In Jeremiah, the word of the Lord comes to that prophet and he says to the people then in those days, and it still resonates today, that your heart, the human heart, is deceitfully wicked above all things. There's nothing more dirty than the human heart. I want you to think about that because the passages we just read said, you've said this in your heart and now here we are in Isaiah and we hear the same thing, the same phrase you said in your heart. That means you thought, that means you can change your mind. Listen to what it says here. I I want you to understand. He says, I will of the King of Babylon, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is pride in its prime. I will, I will, I will. It's all about me, me, me. Now, many people believe that these words are actually the words of Satan. And I think it's because they just don't read the Bible. But these words, I mean, very clearly could have been said by Satan because we know that he rebelled against God. We know that his thought and intent of his heart and even his actions proved that he did want to be like God or above God. But these words clearly say they're spoken of the king, a human king, the king of a place called Babylon, who said these words in his heart. Let me give you a quick rundown of what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. If anyone had the Babylon mentality, it's this guy. Go with me to Daniel chapter four. 
Daniel chapter four. In verse 29, we read this. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Can't you see the giant smile on his face? the grinning pride that he's saying this, but God humbles him in an astonishing way. It says this in verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, God's voice came out of heaven and spoke to him. And he says this, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be, um, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 33 says this, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and he ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. I I have to stop and tell you, this is not an, an allegory. This is not a metaphor. This is a real human who has been cursed and judged by God to have chaos, literal insanity. He's been driven out of his kingdom, out into nature, into fields outside of his own palace, where he then is experiencing a punishment given by God, where he literally crawled on all fours, ate grass like an ox would, grew his nails out long, no nail clippers, nobody to help him with a manicure, his hair out long, and he literally endured that punishment for a long period of time. But God didn't leave him there. Here's the thing about pride. If you're dealing with pride, let me say it like this. If you're facing pride and you choose to deal with your pride and humble yourself, God will restore. He will build you up. He does not leave you in the dirt and in the mire. I love this about him. We serve a good God, amen, who doesn't want that to be our end. Listen to what it says in verse 34. It says, at the end of the days, say that word, the single syllable. Wait a second. I thought only godly men and prophets and some women were listed as writers of scripture. I noticed that this week as I studied this, Nebuchadnezzar, his words are being written as if he's the one who's writing them. It says this, verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my sanity, my reason returned to me. And what did I do? Get mad at God and said, man, I can't believe you put me through that. No, he says this, and I bless the most high, And I praised and honored him who lives forever, 
for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Come on, somebody. It says, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none, say that word, none. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Wow, what a change of mentality this has been. He's endured a humbling experience where God took a king from a palace and showed him who's boss. If I can put it in layman's terms, that's what happened. God said, I'm going to show you that you are not the guy. I need to be the guy, the God in your life not you yourself. Look at verse 37. I just love this. It says this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, he's writing again, or at least saying to Daniel, write this down in your book. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I hope, I hope you're not getting your toes stepped on too much this morning. But I do hope that you're also not just sloughing this off and saying, I don't have pride like Nebuchadnezzar. Please, it's really sneaky. Your heart is dirty. Each one of our hearts are dirty. I want to give you, now that we've talked about the Babylon mentality, we've seen what it did to Nebuchadnezzar and we saw what God's remedy for it was. And you see what Nebuchadnezzar's response is. When he comes out of insanity, God restores him back to order and immediately he says, I'll praise God. I'll extol him and lift him up. I'll give him all the praise. Everything he does is wonderful. He's the ruler of this world. That's a change in direction. I want to give you three I will statements today that will help you survive and influence any ungodly culture. And it'll defeat the Babylon mentality even in your own mind. The first one is this. We've got to make the choice to say, I will exalt God. Now, the word exalt, we sing it in Christmas songs, which is coming up sooner than you think. Um, we, we don't really use it at the water cooler at work, or you don't text it to your buddy, right, Colton? I don't think you've ever used the word exalt. Well, not this. Yeah, never mind. That's a bad example. There's actually a side joke for us. But you've never used the word exalt in a text message to a friend, right? So exalt means this, to lift higher. That's what it truly means. So we need to understand that we've got to exalt God. We've got to choose to lift him higher. Not just on Sundays for an hour, an hour and a half. Not just at small group or in Chi Alpha, our college ministry, or at youth group. We've got to choose that daily I will exalt God. If I'm making the choice to daily exalt God, guess what? I'm not going to say half of the stuff that I want to say. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Truly, if I make this decision to exalt God and lift him higher, I'm going to have a better attitude. I'm going to treat others more kindly, more gently. We must live our lives exalting and lifting him up. We need to exalt him and not ourselves. 
So be very careful because there is the opportunity for you on your job when you receive an accolade or you receive some sort of award or you're the best, you're the greatest and you get these accolades from time to time. All of us have, all of us will. But in those moments, we have got to not let that feed into our pride. We have got to stop for a moment and just say, God, I thank you. I thank you for giving me the gifts you've given me. I thank you for the job I've got. I thank you for this accolade, whatever it is that has been given to you. Exalt God. Number two is this. I will acknowledge God in everything. I'm telling you something, church. I'm not here because I'm the most well-trained. I'm here because I'm the best looking. I'm just kidding. I'm not here because I'm the most well-trained. I'm here because God chose me. He chose me with all the junk and all the problems and all the pride and all the stuff. He chose me. He appointed me to be where I am. He's given me the gift of my wife and my children. He has done these things for me. So I've got to acknowledge him in everything. If you've served or if you have a child in our children's ministry, you've passed through one of these rooms and it has a little sign on that door or near the door and it says this, I thank God for choosing me. That's the attitude we ought to have because we're to acknowledge him in everything. I need Jesus just as much as you need Jesus. (laughs) Some days more than you need Jesus, probably. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 3, verse 6. The man who's writing this is writing it to his son and there's a a long list of encouragements and instructions, but he says this phrase in Proverbs 3, 6 that is stuck with me. And if you know the passage of scripture, it's the whole trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Number three, and that's the last one, I will humble myself. I've found out the hard way that you can initiate your humility or God can or people around you will. It's so much better when you choose it first. It really is. And some of you are saying amen because you've experienced this. You must humble yourself. Here's the deal. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Hold on a second. Wait a second. If I'm thinking, then pride isn't just, I built this kingdom. Look at all this great stuff I built. It's thinking of yourself all the time. Oh, this is tough for me to get through today. Because I do. Nobody else matters as much as my opinion and my thoughts and my desire for dinner and my choice and my this. Each one of us are like that. Some of you might be a little bit more laid back, but... A lot of us deal with this. The reality is humility is not thinking less of yourself like, I am just dirt, I am worthless, I have no value. That's not what humility is. Humility is constantly making sure you're thinking about yourself less. We've got to get this. It's a choice that we need to make more often. I want you to stand with me today. You've probably noticed in this series so far, in the two weeks that we've talked, we've talked about the culture around us, 
but I'm not getting on a soapbox talking about political opinions or gay marriage or this, the legalization of marijuana or anything that we see that's in our current day's culture. I, I don't need to because you know what those cultural things and norms are. And I hope and I pray that you listen to your pastor's challenge to be people of the word of God so you know what God's opinion is on these subjects and on these things. But what I have to say to you today is this. I really believe that people in our church, myself included, have fallen victim or prey to this Babylon mentality from time to time. It might not be very present right now in the here and now, but it's present when we choose ourself over the things of God. When we choose to be selfish rather than selfless. When we choose to serve our own desires rather than serve in the church. When we choose to do something with our finance for ourselves to benefit ourselves rather than give sacrificially. In all of these different areas of our life, in the time that we give in all of these things, the Babylon mentality can be there. So today I want, I invite you to just pray where you are as I pray for you today. But I, I want us to repent before the Lord. The Bible says that repentance, truly it means turning from our sin. So I want us to turn from that Babylon mentality. You say, yeah, I got a little bit of it, pastor. Then root it out today because your heart wants to keep it. And God says, I want you to live the life I've called you to live. I want you to influence this culture and stand your ground and love well, but I've got to do it with a heart that's fully focused only on me. So Lord, today, each one of us in our own different way, Lord, we just whisper a prayer to you and say, God, we repent from having a Babylon mentality, from this thought that it's me, myself, and I, that it's, look at what I've done. God, today I pray that you would help us to root out pride where it hides in our hearts. Lord, that for each one of us as we're impacted by this series, help us, Lord, especially as we keep going through this book of Daniel. We see that Daniel was a humble man and that pride was not the issue for him. That, Lord, I pray that you would help us be like Daniel. Help us to be humble and to serve you with all of our hearts. God, I pray that you would forgive us for our pride. And, Lord, that you would help us on the daily to choose these three I wills. Lord, that we'll lift you higher, that we'll acknowledge you in everything, God, and that we will humble ourselves. Father, I pray that you would help us be those who truly are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. God, I thank you for Celebrate Church. I thank you for every believer here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before the worship team sings, I want you to just stay in a moment of worship right now. And I want to ask you this, and I would ask you if you'd just close your eyes briefly with me. I want to ask you if there's someone here today and you say, Pastor, I've never experienced the love that you've talked about, how Jesus can love and forgive and give grace and healing and help. And I need that. I've never dedicated my life to him and received his salvation. If that's you today, I want you to just boldly lift your hand wherever you are. If there's anyone here our prayer is that every week we would offer the opportunity for people to come home, to come home to the right kingdom. If there's anyone here, you've got just one more moment. Lift your hand wherever you are and say, that's me. No hands being raised. I believe that all of us are here and believers. 
But I would say, if you are here today and you say, Pastor, I need prayer for something that's going on in my life, would you just lift up your hand? We're not going to call on you publicly to speak out your prayer request or anything like that. But you say, Pastor, I've got something in my life, whether it's a sin you're dealing with, whether it's an issue in finance or a relationship, and you say, I need some prayer. Would you open up your eyes and look around at the hands that are around you? And would we just circle around the people that have their hands up? And let's just put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them this morning. The Lord knows what they need. They don't even have to tell us what they need. Just pray for guidance and for wisdom, for blessing, for provision. Lord, right now, as your people pray and as as we sing in worship, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to dedicate this last moment of our service fully to you, Lord. Would you speak your word today? Heal disease, disease, disease of heart, disease of emotion. God, I pray that you would speak life today. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray.